0: Praise the Lord. It is good to share God's word with you. Before we do so, let us join together in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful to be gathered together as the body of Christ, both on campus and those joining with us online. Lord, what a tremendous privilege and honor it is to worship you through song, to worship you through prayer, uh, to worship you as we come to your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit of God reveal the truths that we need to hear Lord, we thank you for the power that we have in Christ and through your spirit in order to live in those truths. And so, Lord, we ask that you do that for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we are in our last section in this amazing chapter. We'll be looking at verses 169 through 176. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. Uh, There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 573, 573. We are concluding our uh, teaching series, our sermon series this morning entitled, His Word, My Anchor. Uh, This is our 22nd message in this particular uh, chapter, uh, chapter Uh, Psalm 119 is an amazing chapter in the Bible. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. In fact, if you look at all the books of the Bible, uh, this particular chapter is uh, larger, greater in size than more than 50% of the books of the Bible. Uh, What we find in this particular uh, chapter is just the central focus on the Lord and his word. Uh, In fact, uh, 98 to 99% of all the verses in this particular chapter uh, somehow, in some way, shape, or form, uh, allude to uh, God's word. It's called law, word, rules, testimonies, commandments, statutes, judgments, promises, and precepts. And from the very, very beginning, uh, what we have found is that the psalmist uh, has a tremendous desire, devotion, and dedication uh, to the Lord and to the word of the Lord. This morning as we look at this last stanza, the Tav stanza, uh, we'll see a picture of that on the screen. Uh, what we've noticed in our particular study of this psalm is every stanza, the 22 stanzas are, are represented by one Hebrew letter and then each of those verses in that stanza correspond also to that same Hebrew letter and again this morning uh, the Hebrew letter is uh, Tav, I'm not sure if we have the screenshot, doesn't look like it, there it is. So there's your Hebrew lesson for today, right? But again, the the scripture was written in such a way that it could be memorized, right? Uh, It's a poem. This is a poem. And so the psalmist goes before the Lord and, and the Spirit of God anoints him to write these words so that you and I, as we study them today... 176 verses that will that there will be things in this passage that, that drive us, right? There's things that the Spirit of God will convict us of and we'll go back to and we'll remember certain things and so it was written in such a way that it could be memorized. This particular Hebrew letter, uh, Tov, uh, speaks of a mark or a sign or a signature and so what we have in this last stanza is the psalmist is signing off, right? He's giving us these closing words to us and what a, mar- a marvelous uh, passage it is, and so let's read it, and then we'll study it uh, together. Verses 169 through 176, the psalmist says, let my cry come before you, O Lord, give me understanding according to your word, let my plea come before you, deliver me according to your word, my lips will pour forth, praise for you, teach me your statutes, my tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts, I long for your salvation, O Lord, And your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant for I do not forget your commandments. What a humble closing to an awesome psalm. Look at verse 176 again because that's where we're going to focus our time this morning. The signature that the psalmist gives to this entire chapter is this verse right here. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. On the surface, this looks like a terrible closing. You mean all of this buildup, 175 verses, now closes on that 176th verse with the words, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I mean, you think about TV shows or movies. They don't always have the greatest closing, do they? Uh, in fact, I, I, I loved Seinfeld, right? I watch Seinfeld all the time, and, and that last episode, the sign-off, the signature sign-off of that amazing series, in my opinion at the time, was horrible. It was, what, I just wasted an hour or two getting geared up for this thing. It, it just left me wanting for more, and so when we get to verse 176, if we're not careful on the surface, we can walk away from this amazing chapter and think, that, that, that is That's terrible. That is a horrible way to close this awesome psalm. But here's what I want us to realize this morning. As we walk through three amazing takeaways from this particular verse, uh, it's a perfect ending to a perfect chapter in the Bible. Uh, The first takeaway that we find in verse 176 is an honest confession. An honest confession. Over the past 175 verses, we have seen the devotion and dedication of the psalmist his heart towards the Lord, his heart towards the word of the Lord, and you would think that the psalmist has it all together by now, right? You would think we, after 21 weeks of walking through this particular chapter, we would realize the centrality of the word of God and the Lord in our life, and we would have it all together, right? But that's not what the psalmist teaches us. You see, the the psalmist is completely transparent before our eyes, right? He He says, I have gone astray, like a lost sheep. Lord, I have wandered and strayed from your truth. Now we don't know if the psalmist wandering is internal or external or both. Do you realize that you can wander away from the Lord internally? Obviously externally, and sometimes it's a combination of the two. We don't know, but we do know that he is acknowledging and owning to the fact that he has wandered from the Lord. And truth be told, we're prone to wander as well, right? We're we're not immune to this idea of wandering, this reality of wandering and fact the prophet Isaiah says these words in Isaiah 53 verse 6 he says all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way now we need to understand by the grace of God at the moment of salvation right the moment that we by grace through faith receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior he gave us a new heart he implanted his spirit in our life right he gave us new desires new loves right and that begs the question how is it that the psalmist over all of this How is it that he's still prone to wander? The greater question is, how is it that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ who have been given a new spirit, the very spirit of God dwells in us. The word of God has come alive to us. And yet we find ourselves prone to wander. You see, our proneness to wander from the Lord hasn't fully left us yet, right? It's a constant daily struggle between our flesh and the spirit of God ...that lives in us. And the battle is real and it is waging. I think the reality is... ...the sad fact is this... ...that that Christians aren't honest with that fact. We would much rather save face... ...and say we have it all together... ...than be transparent and honest... ...and say, man, I'm a wreck at times. And the psalmist is reminding us... ...of the beauty of honest confession. We hear this from the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. He says, for we know... That the law is spiritual. In other words, God's law, God's word, God's truth is good. But then he says, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now, it's important to understand the context of what this phrase means, sold under sin. Because we know in Romans 6 that Paul says, I have been set free. Right? I'm no longer captive to my sin. So what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, listen, the law is good. But there are times where my flesh gets to the upper hand, right? There are, there are times in my life where the flesh... Appears to win out in my life, right? He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I hate sin, but guess what? I still do it. How many of of us relate to that today? I hate it, but I still do it. I want to do what honors to the Lord, but I find that there's something in me that still opposes that. He says, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul says, there's a new me. I'm a new creation in Christ. But there's still a residual effect of the old self and it rises up. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in the flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. But guess what? I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. How many of all agree with that? That honest confession. Paul says, man, I have so many good intentions. So many good intentions. But it seems like I take more steps back than I take forward, right? I mean, how many of us in the morning say, today's going to be a new day. Today's going to be better than yesterday. And before you even get to the car, it's a hard no. No, it's not. (laughs) You thought yesterday was bad. You wait for today, right? So that spiritual battle is real. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And Paul says, man, my, my new self loves the Lord. I love the God of the word, I love the Lord, but there's still something that battles day and night. It's the battle between the spirit and the flesh. And we know, according to Galatians uh, chapter 5, that the spirit, when when you submit to the spirit, it always wins, right? Every time. It's not not like the spirit and the the flesh are are going toe-to-toe and we're trying to see who's going to win the final round. No, the spirit always wins when you submit to the spirit, right? The issue is we don't always submit to the Spirit, right? There's a flesh in us. There's that fleshly side of us. And this is key because the psalmist probably didn't wake up that morning and say, I'm going to start wandering from the Lord today, right? And this ain't be true of us. We don't wake up one morning and say, I'm starting today. No, it's a slow drift after a slow drift and after a slow drift. And all of a sudden you wake up, you look at your life, and you say, how did I get so far off track? And the psalmist is saying, man, deep down, Even with great intentions, I am prone to wander. The psalmist gets that. And in his wandering, he still desires to to have a devotion towards the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 169 and verse 170. He says, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Lord, I am broken and grieving over my sin. Cause me to understand your ways and your truth. Draw me back to yourself. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Lord, I need your divine intervention in my life. Listen, this is a psalmist who wants to follow the Lord. He wants to desire the things of the Lord. Lord, I need you to rescue me from me. (laughs) That's what we need, right? Lord, rescue me from me. Lord, do what I can't do in myself. And David recognized this. Uh, David recognized that uh, shortly after he confesses his sin, I mean, uh, adultery, deceit, manipulation, murder. He gets to this place in Psalm 51, verse 10 and 11. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In other words, God, I need your divine power in my life. The word uh, create there is the word bara. It's the word of divine power. It's talking about uh, how God takes Uh, nothing and makes it something glorious it's the words that we see in Genesis 1 where God creates everything out of nothing he says I need you to do that in my life right he talks about this idea of renewal to renovate these things in my life the the pieces of my life have been shattered all around because of my sin I have caused great harm in my own life I've caused great harm in the lives of those around me Lord I need you to plead Lord I need you to put those pieces back together again right and then he says in verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now we have to understand that in no way does the Holy Spirit leave us once we are followers of Christ, right? David didn't have a complete understanding of the Holy Spirit. We have it now in the New Testament, right? Once you've been dwelt with the Holy Spirit, he will never, ever leave you. In fact, Ephesians 1 says you are sealed forever by the Holy Spirit of God. What he's saying is here, Lord, I wanna, I wanna experience that redeeming power in my life again. I want to experience uh, the power of God's spirit working in me and uh, through me. And so both the psalmist and David are coming to the Lord, an honest confession, exp- expressing a heart of repentance. Now, why is this important? Why is this heart of repentance so important? Well, David talks about this in Psalm 51, verse 17. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In other words, David says, I, I could have given a thousand sacrifices, right? But what does God desire the most? He desires the heart. He desires your heart. And when we look at the psalmist's honest confession before the Lord, guess what? He's actually grateful that his sin has been exposed. How do we know? Verses 171 and 172, he says, My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Now think about this for just a minute. How is it that his lips can gush praise, right? Overflow with praise. How is it that his, his tongue can sing praises to the Lord? The very fact that God exposed His sin, right? Think about it. The Word of God exposes our sin. Praise be to God for that. And that's where the psalmist is here. He's he's, he's experienced a time of wandering, and the Lord, through His Word, exposes the psalmist' sin. Have you ever been there before? You're reading God's Word, and you're thinking, "Oh man, I'm wondering from the Lord." Now, I'm not saying it's not easy to be conflicted or convicted of that sin. In fact, it's quite painful. But there is a praise that wells up in the heart of every follower of Christ when the Lord, by his grace, exposes our sin. When David's sin was finally exposed, David, uh, for about a year, hid his sin, right? And God, in his grace, raises up Nathan uh, to go before David to uh, be the instrument of that intervention, if you will. And David's response to that is found in Psalm 32. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. So all these words of blessed, like how joyful, how happy is the one uh, whose sin or whose transgression is forgiven, uh, whose sin is covered. So God's grace covers our shame. Uh, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, God's grace is sufficient to wipe the slate clean, right? That's what he's saying. Now, Now, why is he blessed? Why is he joyful? Because that's not... Where he's always been, right? What does the scripture say in verse 4? He says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah. So he's pausing on all these things. He's thinking about these things. And he says, There was a season in my life when I, when I chose not to confess my sin to the Lord. When I chose to go into hiding. When I chose to say, Alright, as long as the outward behavior is fine, Then nobody's going to know the inward struggle. Right? I'm not going to lay everything before the table. And during that time, the scripture says what? That he was, he was frail. He was weak. His bones are wasting away. But then when honest confession happened, verse 5, it says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Say, So again, there's this season in David's life where he's, he's holding it in. His pride is getting in the way. If people knew. If people knew, right, sometimes the greatest thing that can happen in your life is people know, right? That sin gets exposed, and there was a season in his life where he didn't have that joy, but once that sin was exposed and he repented to the Lord through that conviction, the scripture says that he, he acknowledged the Lord and he was blessed. The Lord released him from the heavy burden of his sin, and the same is true for us. When we're honest before the Lord in honest confession, he will release that burden of sin from our life. I wonder how many of us this morning are carrying that burden. And we need, just like the psalmist, to have an honest confession. You know, you think about the Bible for just a minute. The Bible records the lust of David, the denials of Peter, the bigotry of Jonah, the shame of Noah, the temper of Moses, the doubt of Thomas, the deceit of Rahab, and the bitterness of Naomi. Why? To shift our focus off ourselves and put it rightly on the Lord, right? The Lord is gracious, and he is merciful, and in honest confession, that's where the Lord desires us to be because that's where our true freedom is found. Where do you need to have honest confession in your life uh, this morning towards the Lord? The second takeaway that we find uh, is not just an honest confession, but a humble plea, a humble plea. Second part of verse 176, simple words, seek your servant. Man, think about the grace that's in that verse, that phrase there. You see, the psalmist isn't content and is wondering, why? Because the Lord won't allow him to be, Right? I mean, that is a blessing from the Lord, that even in our wandering, we will not be content. Why? Because God's grace won't allow us to be content. The psalmist is in with great humble plea. Lord, I know I am wandering, but I can't find my way back, right? Lord, I know that I'm wandering from you, but I'm unable to return on my own strength. Lord, I have wandered off your path, and I don't even trust myself to return, right? He says, Lord, seek me. Lord, come after me. The humility of the psalmist continues in verse 173 and 174. It says, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. The word hand expresses the psalmist's desire for the strong and mighty hand of the Lord to reach out and to grab him and to pull him back. This idea of help uh, communicates a surrounding. Lord, I need you to surround me. With your strength, I am caught in the thicket and web of my own sin. I am totally helpless, Lord. I plead that you will surround me with your powerful hand and you rescue me, right? That's his humble plea before the Lord. Lord, be the good shepherd that I know that you are according to your word. The Bible reminds us time and time again that the people of God need a good shepherd. They need the good shepherd of the Lord. You go back to a time of Ezekiel where uh, the people of God are in Babylonian exile, bo- Babylonian captivity, and, and unfortunately, uh, they had no leadership, right? They, they longed for a king, and unfortunately, prior to that, they, they were looking to other leaders, right? Other shepherds that were not leading them in the ways of the Lord, and it cost them dearly. But in the midst of all of that, God, in His grace, reminds His people that He is the good shepherd. In Ezekiel 34 verses 11 through 16, the scripture says, For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the uh, countries and and will bring them into their own land the good shepherd says what I see where my sheep have been scattered and yes you have been wandering for years but guess what I'm going to bring you back home again right Why? Because I am the good shepherd. He continues on, And I will feed them on the mountain of Israel by the ravines and and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Everything you need, the good shepherd says, will be found in me. You don't have to look anywhere else, right? It goes on to say, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. To the ones who are lost and hurting and weak and wandering, I will care for you. I will put you on my shoulders and I will bring you back home. Why? Because I am the good shepherd. And praise be to God, in Jesus Christ, we have the good shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the context here is amazing because the verse right before this, John 10, 10, it says that what? The, the, the thief comes to only what? Seek, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to give life. And, and how is it that Jesus gives life to a sheep? He sacrifices his own life for his sheep Jesus goes on to say in verses 27 and 28 of John 10 he says my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand when you receive Christ by grace through faith as your savior it's a permanent relationship right it's a permanent relationship He will always and forever be your good shepherd. It cannot be taken from you. It cannot be stolen from you. No matter how much wandering you do, he is your good shepherd. He is the good shepherd that always seeks and searches for you, even in your wandering. And why is that important? I mean, if we're prone to wander, I think I need to know that I have a good shepherd that's never going to wander for me, right? In fact, you go back to the Apostle Paul and, again, that struggle between the flesh and the spirit and how he has good intentions, but somehow, some way, those good intentions don't always get to be met the way that he intends it to be. Because why? Because in his wanderings, he's relying on his own strength. And he says, "What, what hope do I have? What rescue do I have in my wandering? He tells us in verses 24 and 25 of Romans 7, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ our lord the word deliver is a military term it talks about uh, a, a wounded soldier soldier being carried over carried out of battle uh, by someone who is stronger and guess what we are the wounded soldier and we have someone who is stronger than the dust it is the good shepherd of Jesus Christ, and it's to the good shepherd that we cry, Lord, cause me to be taught, cause me to understand, cause me to march on your path, cause my heart to bend towards you, cause my eyes to pass over the things of this world, cause me to be assured in the finished work of Christ, cause me to be strengthened in my weakness, and Lord, in my wandering, seek me, search me, and bring me back home again. It's the parable of the lost sheep, right? In Matthew 18, understand the context. Uh, jesus is writing uh, he's speaking to his disciples and he's teaching them how to love one another right and he gives this great parable the parable of the lost sheep and jesus teaches them show, to show them how you love the body of christ and jesus says in verse 10 of matthew 18 he says see that you do not despise one of these little ones now again he uses the illustration of children uh, children had no honor in society They had nothing to bring to the table. And what he's saying is that every follower of Christ has come to faith in Christ and childlike faith. So this idea of do not despise the little ones, he's talking about followers of Christ here, right? He's not just talking about young people. He's talking about followers of Christ. He says, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Now let's stop there for a minute. Uh, Some people say that that's the scriptural reference of we all have a guardian angel, right? Possibly. But what we do know is in Hebrews 1 Uh, verse 14, that that God sends his angels to do what? To minister to his people. So we may have one guardian angel, we have... Many, I don't know, but praise be to God, he sends angels to me, he sends angels to you to help us in our weakness, right? Praise be to God for that, but that's not the main point of the passage. The main point of the passage comes in verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not uh, leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one who went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish in other words, Jesus, the good shepherd, goes after the one, right? He leaves the 99, he goes after the one, and what does that mean to us? It means that even the wanderers are valuable to the Lord. Man, that we would have a gospel-shaped mind and heart to those brothers and sisters in Christ who have wandered away from the Lord. Jesus says, I have left the 99 to go get the one. Are you that one this morning? Through honest confession and a humble plea, know that Jesus Christ is your good shepherd. Last takeaway my anchor of hope. My anchor of hope. With all that's going on, where's the psalmist's anchor of hope? He says in the last part of verse 176 For I do not forget your commandments. Yes, I have wandered from the Lord but I do not forget your commandments. Why? Because my only hope for the life that you desire for me and the fellowship that you desire for me with you only comes from you. The psalmist says in verse 175, "'Let my soul live and praise you. Let your rules help me.'" What an amazing plea, what an amazing request. Let let your rules help me. The psalmist knows, again, that true life True meaning and purpose in life comes from where? The truth of God's word, the rules that are founded in God's word. Now, if you think about it, that, that's not what's communicated in our world, right? The world communicates that you do you, right? God's word is out of date. God's word is no longer relevant. That's ancient. This is post-Christianity, right? This is, this is, this is us determining by our feelings and our experience what is best for us, right? And you think about the advertisements that we see all the time. This is a little bit of fun, but hopefully a point, right? Outback Steakhouse. And I can do this and this service a lot easier because next service they'll probably get hungry. So i got to go a little quicker. So the slogan in Outback was adopted in September of 2013. And what is the slogan there? No rules just right. I mean, I mean, think about it. What we hear. No rules just right. Now, the chief marketing officer said this. This is who we are, and it's the foundation of our culture, We'll break the rules to do what it takes to make sure we deliver a dining experience that's just right each and every time. We treat customers as though they are dining in their own home, leaving no request unfilled. I guess they're not breaking enough rules, right? No, I'm just kidding. But that's the mentality. We'll break any rule. All right, what about this one? Burger King. Yes, this is from the 1970s. Have it your way, right? And it was a slogan that was meant to go against their competition, namely McDonald's. Uh, back then, the only choice you had was pickle or no pickle, right? And so Burger King comes on the scene and says, we got to give them more options, more choices. Well, you know how that works out. Unfortunately, in 2012, Burger King drive throughs were the slowest, the slowest, right? Yes, yes. So in 2014, they changed the slogan from have it your way to be your way hoping it would positively impact the speed of their service, but it didn't work. So in October of 2022, they changed their slogan to You Rule. And the president of Burger King said that the slogan change was an effort to promote self-love, individuality, and royalty among their customers. Do you see what's happening with the advertisements of the world? From a steak to a burger and everything in between. Have it your way. You rule. No rules, just right. That's not what God's word teaches us, right? And so we have to be careful. The marketing schemes of the devil work, right? The whole point is that the word, the world and our desires of the flesh want us to move away from the rules and truth of the word of God. Thinking that that's where true life truly is. But God's Word shows us, and it shows the psalmist, and it reminds the psalmist, and it reminds us that true life can only occur when it's in fellowship with God and in line with His Word, right? That's important. Remember where we started in Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. Now, that phrase or uh, the word bless, uh, blameless and do no wrong, the phrase do no wrong, it's not talking about sinless perfection, right? We know that Jesus is the only one who's perfect, right? But it's talking about a walk of integrity, right? A humble walk before the Lord that I, I truly desire to live my life in line with the, the word of the Lord and in fellowship with my God. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We have been given By God's amazing grace, gracious guidance, and the word of the Lord. To not only to reveal where we are in the present, to show us the next step that's ahead, but also to give greater clarity to what's in the future. The light of God and his word gives us the greatest clarity in all of life, right? David writes in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of, of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. What is the scripture teaching us there? God's word is all sufficient. It's able to renew your soul today. God's Word is more trustworthy than any human experience or any human wisdom. God's Word gives us purpose and direction, and there we will find our joy. The purity of God's Word shines in our darkness and leads us back home. God's Word endures the test of time and is right for all times and in all places. Consider the wonders of the Word of the Lord today. God seeks us in His Word He tests us in his word. He encourages us in his word. He teaches us in his word. He strengthens us in his word. He rebukes us in his word. He corrects us in his word. He restores us in his word. He helps us in his word and he heals us in his word. And childlike faith, every day, let us say, Lord, renew to me and remind me of the wonders of your holy word. And why is it important to have the word of God, your anchor and hope and life? Because it's through the gospel that we're reminded time and time again that though we wander, the Lord will complete what he started, right? In the book of Jude, verses 24 and 25, the scripture says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever amen amen do not be ashamed to admit your need before the Lord think about Psalm 119 again in Psalm 119 it starts with the people of God seeking the Lord and it ends with the Lord seeking his people what an amazing reminder that God seeks his people what's your honest confession today just between you and the Lord Where's, where's the drift? Where's the wandering? Is it internal? Is it external? Is it both? Again, you may say, I, I didn't wake up today in my wandering. And, and maybe the Lord has exposed to you that it's been a slow drift. And where you find yourself today is in a place of bitterness and shame and guilt and hurt and destruction. Maybe there's apathy to the things of God. Maybe there's a coldness of heart. Uh, maybe there is true external sin that has been committed. Man, have an honest confession before the Lord. Maybe the Lord in his grace has raised up a Nathan in your life and brought your sin before you. Will you confess that to the Lord? Will you have a humble plea before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to seek me. I need you to search for me. I need you to rescue me. Bring me back home again. I want to experience the joy of your salvation. I want to experience the Spirit's work in my life again. I want myself to know and the people to know that the Spirit of God makes a difference in my life. Maybe for you it's a renewed commitment to say that my true anchor in life, my true hope in life is going to be the word of the Lord. Whatever your decision is.